whether your situation is as um, uh, you know, radically uh, upheaving as ours is, uh, likely it's not, uh, but still we must remember that things aren't as stable and uh, plain as we think they are. You know, our jobs, um, you know, here I'm leaving a job, heading to another one, but even if you have a job here, if you're self-employed, how well do you really know what that next client is going to be, or the next client after that, uh, or a couple more? You know, the bills can only be paid so long after one week's work. Uh, if you work for a corporation, how long do you really know it will be before they downsize or make other adjustments that lead you to have no job? Uh, every day we live as if tomorrow will be like today, but we really don't know that's the case. And if it ends up different, our power is limited uh, to um, make with how it turns out. So today, as we look at Hannah, I think we see a great example of how she praises a God who is con in control. Uh, we're not in control. Uh, he is the ruler. Uh, he rules. Uh, that is uh, our theme for today, God's rule, his rule as king. Um, and we can be thankful for that as uh, being saved and in his family. Uh, people who aren't saved have reason to fear. Uh, the doctrine of God's sovereignty is a scary thing to those who are not in his family. And there's a reason why uh, those who are unbelievers rail against this. They'd like very well for God not to be sovereign, for them to continue living as if they're kings of their own little worlds. But that isn't the case. And they'll come to reconcile with that fact at some point. But uh, through all of our challenges and through all of our good days, we can delight in the fact that God's rule is sure, that he is sovereign, uh, a benevolent God is looking out for us. So I trust today that as we look at this, you'll be humbled and encouraged, uh, just as Hannah was, to trust God in whatever joys and whatever sorrows uh, that you face. Uh, let us begin then in our text. Uh, the first uh, several verses, I think, speak so beautifully of the uniqueness and the unity of God's being. Because if he's not unique, if there are other gods, then you know, how do you have multiple sovereign gods? Uh, sovereignty implies uh, singularity. You can only have one CEO of a company or things get horribly complicated and people stepping on each other's toes and you don't know who to follow, etc. So there has to be the uniqueness. Here we see, in the name of God, my heart rejoices in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. Uh, that name, the Lord, there of course being translated Yahweh or Jehovah, the other ways to pronounce the Hebrew word, uh, speaks of God's uniqueness. The great I am statements that Jesus makes in the New Testament tie in with this covenant name of God. Uh, he is the one God. There is no other uh, if there were other gods, we might be wondering, well, at one point, will these other gods win out in their battle? And indeed, uh, that's one theory of how uh, you know, some of the liberals try to decide how we got to have monotheism. They say, oh, back in the day, you know, there were many gods, and then the one god that we believe in now kind of won out. He beat all his enemies and defeated and subdued them. Um, and there are still these other little gods, and, but that leaves open the opportunity that they might rise up one day and beat our God, but that is not the case of what Scripture's testimony is. There's only one God. People may think there's other God. Uh, certain heathen lands think there's many gods, uh, but that's just... They're deceived. Uh, they're wrong, plainly. Uh, just because they think it doesn't make it so. Uh, but we know from the testimony of Scripture that there is only one God. Uh, that one God identifies himself as such by his name. And that one God uh, reveals himself uh, to us uh, through the Bible, through the Scriptures that we can read. But in fact, Hannah does say uh, that the other uh, gods, uh, using a lowercase g, I would insist, are defeated. Uh, the idols that people place up and, and pretend are gods, they are defeated. Uh, they're not worth trusting in. As we read in those verses following, there is none holy like the Lord, for there is none besides you, nor is there any rock like our God. 
So therefore talk no longer very proudly. Let no arrogance come from your mouth. For the Lord is God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. And here we get to where those other enemies are defeated. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and those who stumbled are girded with strength, those who were full, etc. So those enemies, the ones carrying the bows, trying to attack God or even attack God's people, they are defeated. Uh, They cannot stand. Uh, They may pretend to for a while. Uh, We know in the life of David, uh, the great... um, you know, allegorical figure representing the future uh, kingly reign of Christ, he fought a lot of enemies in his life. And there was eventually uh, the gift of peace uh, that came to David. He didn't have to fight forever. Uh, we don't have to keep fighting. Uh, but those enemies, those earthly enemies, ultimately were subdued. Those other gods, uh, the lower G gods, were defeated. Well, so the very fact that God is unique means there's nobody he's competing against in order to you know, fight against them and say, hey, I'm sovereign, you're not. Um, but the fact that he uh, is this lone sovereign uh, ruler, this ruling king, uh, leads to then what is he uh, sovereign over? And uh, we follow then, and let's skip ahead, I think, to verse 6. First, to say that he created everything, because in order to have dominion over something, I think God has dominion over everything by virtue of him having created everything. And this is the problem with other theories of uh, eternal matter and evolution, uh, if one tries to incorporate evolution theory into Christianity, is you say that things have existed forever just like God existed forever. And if other things existed for the same amount of time God has, he is not subject, or um, they're not subject to him. He's not in dominion over them necessarily. So we must uh, agree with Scripture, which says that the only eternal being is God. Everything else was created by him and by virtue of him having created it, therefore he has dominion over it. So we can't make any compromises and say, oh, that might be true. Uh, There might be things that are eternal also, because if we concede that little bit of ground uh, from that can spring the idea that things are outside of God's bounds. And that's really precisely what uh, the um, the independent rebel tries to do is try to fence off their own little territory that says, you know, God is out there. He's not in here. I have my own little ruling kingdom over which I can preside. And that's exactly what the scientific materialist does when they say, oh, God didn't create matter. You know, science is the ruling king in this domain of uh, the physical universe because we can say how it came about and how it's developing. Um, and therefore, they push God to the outside. They raise up their own little kingdom. But we know scripture doesn't say that. Scripture says that God created everything. Uh, There in your outlines, uh, the earth as well as man, reading in verse 6, the Lord kills and makes alive. So very life comes and goes at God's sovereign will. Uh, Continuing, he brings down to the grave and brings up. So that's uh, the continuing of man's life. Um, One of the verses we read earlier in our reading spoke of the fact that God is ruler over uh, all the earth. There can be no question uh, for people who try to, it just boggles my mind how people incorporate uh, these various scientific quote unquote uh, theories to say that uh, God didn't create everything. It's such a clear testimony from scripture that God created the earth and everything that is in it. So with that established, again, the important thing that he created everything, therefore, moving to part three here, he has dominion over everything. So going back to uh, verses three, and I think the reason why or how he carries out, I should say, how he carries out this dominion is by virtue of his omniscience. Uh, He knows everything there in verse three. 
Let no arrogance come from your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge. He is the source of all truth, as well as knowing everything. I remember when I was a kid, I was telling the story to somebody else recently, but uh, my parents really wanted me to wear a bicycle helmet when I went on bike rides. Very kids, it was a good idea. Uh, but I was so proud, I don't know what I was thinking. I didn't like bike helmets. I thought they were uncool looking. And so I would go around the corner of our house and the block and, and hide my helmet in a bush and then go for my bike ride. And on the way back home, I made sure that I didn't come home via in front of the house. I could go to the bush first, put my helmet back on and come in the house. How deceptive is that? It's horrible, isn't it? But I wasn't saved back then, right? See, it's only 10 years I've been a Christian. So I have a horrible excuse. But uh, so I thought that I was deceiving them and likely I did. I don't think my parents to this day know that I uh, deceived them and didn't wear a helmet on my bike trips. Uh, but they're not omniscient like God is. He most certainly did see uh, what I was doing. He knows that I was lying and dishonoring my parents. He knows that I was being foolish by not being safe out on those roads with people whizzing by, by failing to wear a helmet. So as much as we think we can trick other people, uh, our spouses, our siblings, our employers, uh, by spending time on you know, personal email, etc., and billing those hours to the company, in a variety of ways, we think we're tricking people, uh, but we can't trick God. Uh, he is omniscient, and that's one way in which he sort of gathers the information uh, by which he exerts his rule is through his omniscience. Well, he's obviously uh, reigning in dominion over everything by virtue of his omnipotence, his power, how his power is exerted in and among the lives of men. Uh, reading on, uh, well, uh, yeah, verses 4 through 8, the bows of the mighty men are broken, so he's uh, defeating those enemies uh, through his omnipotent power. Um, and then also his power in the tail end of verse 5 in the, the physical lives of people, not just the life and death matter, but also in riches in the womb. There where it says even the barren has borne seven and she who has many children has become feeble. Uh, so we, we think we can take it into our control. You know, I'm going to have a kid uh, this year. Now I'm ready or uh, now I'm not ready. I'm going to try not to. Uh, the opening and closing of the womb are uh, aspects of God's uh, um, sovereign rule in our lives. Uh, verse 6, the fact of life. Uh, verse 7, uh, the riches, our material existence. Uh, certainly the American work ethic. If you go out there and work real hard, you'll succeed. That's just you know one of those uh, third laws of thermodynamics or something like that. We think it's so axiomatic. Uh, but the truth is that God opens up opportunity for jobs. Uh, why is it that I don't have anything happening right now? Why is it I don't have any clients coming? I'm doing the same things I was a month ago. I've got just as nice a business card and I've got just as nice a you know, thing on the side of my truck and I've got just as good an ad in the yellow pages. Why isn't it happening? Well, the fact is God is sovereign. Uh, he makes rich and he makes poor. He brings low and he lifts up. Uh, which all this to say, I might as well insert this caveat now, just because God is sovereign doesn't mean we don't just sit back and wait and expect everything just to happen. Uh, there is the aspect of human responsibility. Uh, it's one of the means by which uh, he carries out these things that he has decreed. It's how he carries out his omnipotence is to have us uh, be responsible for certain actions and to not do so is rebellion against his commands. But that's next week. I'll be speaking about God's rules, his commandments uh, that we carry out. But here we're focusing on the rule uh, the kingly rule. So we've looked at our material existence. We looked at our physical existence. Um, there he speaks of the beggar uh, being lifted from the ash heap. And then uh, later in verse 8, to set them among princes, to make them inherit the throne of glory. 
I think that's an important thing we have to consider from uh, Pastor Duff's meditation this afternoon in, morning in terms of uh, his uh, priestly rule is that he intercedes for us and we, as he said, can enter boldly uh, to the throne room of God, which is absolutely amazing that he has set us among the princes, made us inherit the throne of glory. How else could we, you know, if we said, you know, it's my responsibility to make myself right with God, I'm going to go out and do that. No, it's not something that we can do ourselves. That is completely within the auspices of God's sovereignty. And the fact that he's chosen to do that, you know, he didn't have to. A sovereign God doesn't have to take lowly people who rebel against him multiple times a day and uh, welcome them into his family. But he has ordained uh, sovereignly ordained that way to do that, and he has affected uh, that salvation, and he has, in fact, brought us uh, to inherit the throne of glory. Truly a spectacular thought. Um, but here, uh, end of verse 8, I think is another statement of God's dominion over the, the earth, where it says, the pillars of the earth are the Lord's, and he has set the world upon them. So from that previous point. But then where does this all sort of lead to? I mean, the fact that God is sovereign um, in our physical lives and the material, you know, why is it snowing today, etc. We know we can't control that. That's a pretty plain fact. We're not so um, uh, proud and arrogant to think that we are sovereign over everything. But uh, what is the end result of this sovereignty day to day in our lives? And I think for that, it's important to look at the context of this prayer. You know, it's easy to say, oh, great, you know, here's Hannah, and she's just having a great week, and she's praying to God, and she's thankful for the great things that he has done in her life. Of course, uh, as was alluded to, uh, he has given her a son, and that she is giving him back to the Lord for his service. Well, I wasn't always the case, and next week I uh, want to deal more closely with uh, chapter 1, but to allude to it now, she had some difficult times in her life. Uh, we can't just take this little uh, snippet of uh, chapter 2 and say, oh, wow, there you go. We trust in God's sovereignty when things go well. No, uh, in chapter 1, uh, we see the, the, the groundwork laid for this where her life isn't going how she wanted it. And I would submit, and I'll elaborate more on next week, that she didn't handle it perfectly ideally. She ended up coming around in the end. But uh, whether it be in times of good or in times of bad, we must trust God's sovereignty because they both come from his hand. And Romans 8 speaks of all things working together for our good. Uh, the good the, the, what we perceive as really nice things and what we perceive as the really hard things both come from God's hand. I shouldn't even visually, sorry, switch back and forth in my hands. They both come from God's good and loving hand that he gives us. And so uh, we see here Hannah uh, realizing that all through it, even when she was barren and not having children, she knew uh, in her prayer here, she states that God was sovereign. Even when she finally had a child and followed through on her vow to give him back to the Lord, she realizes God is sovereign. And I think that gives her, and the first thing I note here, is great peace. Verse 9, he will guard the feet of his saints, but the wicked shall be silent in darkness. We can have peace because you know, we know we're protected. We're guarded. Um, so many of the Psalms speak of our foot not slipping. That's a classic text that Jonathan Edwards used uh, in his church that some would credit with sparking uh, the arrival, uh, sorry, the uh, revival of the great... Revival of the Great Awakening. Um, and it's not just that one text in Deuteronomy that speaks of God uh, and the foot slipping, but 
dozens of psalms speak of the foot not slipping, that foot which is protected by God. So here, Hannah is saying that he will guard, he will guard our feet, guard the feet of the saints. Uh, he will keep our foot from slipping. He will make our pathway plain, as it's written elsewhere. So we don't need to trouble. Uh, we can know that uh, he has uh, determined the way, uh, determined our steps. We may plot our course, but the Lord determines our steps, right? And so uh, he will guard our feet. We can have great peace. Uh, we can have peace. And of course, I think we have to realize that peace isn't just the state of you know, feeling good about how things are going and feeling all safe and cozy, but that peace of being reconciled with God. I mean, how troubling should it be for people who are not reconciled with God when they think, Judgment is coming, which we'll get to in a moment in terms of victory and vindication. Uh, but we have that peace. Uh, peace has been restored, as Paul writes to uh, his friends in Ephesus. Uh, peace has been restored to us who were once at enmity with God. And because we have that peace, uh, knowing that God is on our side, because we're his saints, then we can feel safe and guarded. So without the, the sort of capital P peace of being reconciled with God, we can't have the daily lowercase p of peace uh, by which we can um, not worry and not have anxiety as we're commanded not to have. So then out of that peace, I see, comes victory in verse uh, 10, the first part of verse 10. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken in pieces. From heaven he will thunder against them. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. It's a true and faithful saying that God is a judge and his justice will not rest forever. It is the fool who pretends that you know, judgment's for those other people, uh, those other people with the really uh, weak consciences and all that guilt to take care of. Those are the people who need to worry about judgment. Now, the fact is we all do and we must uh, be aware of his judgment. But again, once having that capital P piece of being reconciled to him, we don't have to fear the judgment. Uh, we can trust that uh, the victory has been won. Uh, defeating of the adversaries of the Lord is a victory on our behalf. And note also when it speaks here uh, of the thunder against them. We all know living here in the Midwest, we hear all these thunderstorms in the summer. Uh, thunder isn't just something in and of itself, right? Thunder only happens if you have lightning. Lightning, which is tremendously destructive, potentially, if it strikes buildings or people. Um, <clears throat> so thunder isn't just an empty threat. Uh, you know, unfortunately, I think often as parents, we get angry. An unrighteous anger is stirred out and we yell. That often can be an, an empty threat, an empty thundering of our voices. But God does not have empty threats. Truly, lightning is behind uh, his thunder. And we must remember that we may not see it. We may only hear the thunder. We might be in thick woods or we might be in a valley. We might be too far away to actually see the lightning. But the lightning actually happens. Because if lightning didn't happen, there wouldn't be any thunder. It's just a fact of uh, observational science. We must know that uh, thunder and lightning go together. The thunder which we hear is accompanied by the judgment, which we sometimes see, but no happens. So judgment is sure uh, against the adversaries of the Lord. Well, in the second part then of verse 10, he will give strength to his king and will exalt the horn of his anointed. And this, I see, is the vindication. Uh, God's people are vindicated. Uh, he gives them strength. Um, and I think there's two, we, two ways we can read uh, this part of the verse. Certainly many uh, commentators, and the reason why I think the New King James here um, capitalizes, well, actually it doesn't, I'm sorry. It's other translations that capitalize the K in king and the A in anointed. They see verse 10b here speaking of Christ. Um, the Hannah 
prophetically speaking of God the Father giving strength to Christ the King, perhaps being strengthened through his ordeals on the cross, could well be. And then the latter part of that verse, that God the Father will exalt the horn of his anointed, his anointed being the Messiah. Could even appeal to David if people see it on that course too. Uh, But I think that at a minimum, it's the saints uh, referred to earlier, that he, God, will give strength to his king, those people that are princes raised up to inherit uh, that throne of glory. Uh, So we can take confidence in the fact that we've been vindicated. God's justice is pure in that it can't be done twice. Uh, We can't face the same, uh, uh, we can't face trial for the same crime. Uh, Once we have been acquitted by virtue of uh, Christ's righteousness on our behalf, uh, we know that we are, we're clear. Uh, Every time we confess our sins, we know that the justice is done. It can't come again. And so therefore, uh, we have that strength of knowing that we've been vindicated and that God will exalt his anointed. He doesn't leave his anointed, whether it be David, whether it be the Messiah, whether it be us as his saints. He doesn't leave us down there to just sit on the floor as kids looking up to their father. He calls us to stand up and be with him, to come and sit at his table. Uh, as we see pictured in the Lord's table weekly. And that is a a tremendous vindication uh, that we should not underestimate or or take lightly just because we experience it every day. That's the risk of experiencing God's grace every day as we become casual with it. Um, But we shouldn't go to the extreme of being so wallowing in our sin that we only experience it so rarely that it becomes a super special or rare event. Now, we must experience it daily. Uh, We don't want to walk a certain or a single moment uh, apart from his grace, uh, but yet we should not come to uh, view it lightly, uh, to not take uh, so seriously that tremendous gift that he's given us of peace, of victory, and of vindication. Uh, They all came at a huge price, a huge price on the cross. And uh, if it could have been done some other way, it certainly would have been done. Remember Christ's prayer in which he says that there's another way this cup can be taken from me. May it be so. But no, it was determined of the Father and his uh, good and wise counsel that there was only one way to reconcile his people. Forgiveness of sin only comes through the shedding of blood. And uh, the shedding of blood of bulls and calves couldn't do it. Uh, Another blood had to be shed. Uh, The only blood that would suffice was the blood of the only begotten Son. And that sacrifice has happened. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, as we go forward uh, in our lives this week, uh, I do encourage you to reflect on the uh, the, uh, implications for our lives that accompany uh, this sovereignty. Put on your outline there a space for us to ponder. What ways are we not uh, truly trusting in God's sovereign rule? Uh, Inevitably, I think there's ways in which we hedge off uh, little areas of our lives and try to uh, protect them, uh, vainly thinking uh, that we know better or if we just try harder here, uh, we can get it done apart from God's grace. But no, I think Hannah here calls us to a prayer, a prayer of thanksgiving for God's sovereignty, that in the good times, in the easy times, in the challenging times, that a good and sovereign God takes care of us. And as I said before, uh, unbelievers have good reason to fear God's sovereignty. Um, there's a little bit of wisdom in the unbeliever really being afraid of that and trying to deny it. Ironically, it's wise for them to do so because it's a painful uh, and ultimately has great consequences for them. Uh, that truth does. And so for those here who do not know and embrace as a beautiful thing uh, God's sovereign rule in their lives, 
I encourage you, I beg of you, really, uh, to consider God's graciousness and his love uh, for the people uh, that God uh, provided the son to die for. Because apart from that, we have nothing, uh, nothing. There is only one way to be reconciled to the Father, to enjoy his presence and to worship him rightly. Let us do so this week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for uh, this day and the opportunity to worship you, uh, to do so in spirit of truth. Lord, in uh, John's gospel, you said that you were looking for true worshipers. Uh, That is the thing you desire. Uh, And you have found a way to do that. You have drawn people to yourself. You have sovereignly brought people into your family. And Lord, may we uh, know the peace in our hearts that comes from being reconciled to you. May we enjoy that victory day to day, just like Hannah obviously here displays a great joy in seeing your victory uh, being won. And may we uh, rest in the vindication. May we know truly that you have exalted us above all the peoples of the earth, not for uh, something we have none, not because we're stronger, not because we are greater in number, but you have exalted us purely because of your kind mercy uh, on our behalf in Christ. Lord, may we be faithful servants today to uh, recognize your rule and then to follow your rules. Uh, Your people are called to love you by obeying your commands, and may we do so. May we not uh, try to skirt our responsibility by deferring it to someone or something else, but instead embrace uh, the great life you have laid before us, the life of faithful servants, uh, the life of people who know who you are and then act accordingly. Uh, May it be so in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.